Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Hey guys, on this week's episode, we're on the phone with Mike Ellis out of Vidalia, Louisiana, and he's telling us about his last three-year journey bow hunting, so he's, he's relatively new to the sport. A lot of you have been asking for some, you know, where to start, beginner lessons, if you will, on bow hunting. With Mike, we're going to learn about his transition from not knowing anything about the sport and diving in head first to harvesting an excellent buck on public land just a few weeks ago. And he's going to go into the story on how he's evolved as a bow hunter over the last two or three years. Before we get started this week, we want to give a huge thanks to our sponsors. Steve German's Taxidermy Art. They're the only taxidermist that's made it easier for you to transport your deer back into the state of Louisiana by teaming up with Ty's Taxidermy in Orange, Texas as a drop-off point for you to drop off your deer on your way back into the state to circumvent the CWD regulations. And then also very exciting news for us this week. We've teamed up with Cousin Smokehouse to give you an offer that is really unmatched. If you've been listening to the podcast and have been wondering what Cousin's Jerky tastes like, for the whole month of November, you can now get it for 25% off on their website, CousinSmokehouse.com. Use the promo code LABH25. You can get 25% off your entire order of Cousin Smokehouse Jerky, their new Cane Fire flavor, or their original pork jerky. So make sure to take advantage of that discount and try out that jerky because I promise you it's something you're going to want to carry in your hunting bag moving forward. So with that being said, let's get started on this week's episode. 
All right, guys, so we're here with Mike Ellis uh, out of Vidalia, Louisiana. And, um, you know, we were joking a second ago, you're the only person to move to Vidalia, Louisiana on on purpose, intentionally, (laughs) without being born there. Um, But you are, you're originally from uh, southeast Tennessee, Chattanooga. And then, um, so you are in the Coast Guard, right? And that's what brought you up to the Natchez area? Got stationed here in Natchez. I was overseas in Guam, where my wife was from, and we got orders to Natchez. And uh, I was uh, quite shocked. Not anywhere anywhere near what I was hoping for. But, um, <laughs> no. yeah, we've been here since 2015. Oh, that's awesome, man. So what do you do in the Coast Guard right now? Um, so this is my 25th year of service, and I'm currently the officer in charge of the Coast Guard Cutter Greenbrier here, which is a uh, um, is a river tender. We uh, we patrol the channel and set the buoys to facilitate the uh, the commercial traffic up and down to get the barges and ships up and down the river. So oh, all the I've way a, all the way from the Gulf to to where? Yeah, yeah. We take over uh, down almost to New Orleans and we bring them all the way up to Natchez. Um, oh, that's very cool. That, that's that, awesome. That, yeah. So we bring them up to Natchez and uh, got a crew of uh, about eighteen of the best guys I could ever hope to work with. So yeah, it's been it's been an awesome tour here. We've loved it. Very cool. Well, um, I you know I appreciate you taking care of that stuff. And do you, do you have to change the markers often because of river depth and silting up and things like that? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. We uh, you know there's there's two types of events. You're either when the water gets up really really high and it washes all the buoys out of the way, then we're going out and just kind of reestablishing the waterway. But if um, in the late summer, when the water gets real low, uh, we, we have to move them in and out all the time. As you know, if you get a five foot rise or a five foot drop, you're moving buoys around because you, we, we need to give these tow, these tugboats, you know, these things are, these toes are as big as a football field, you know, and, and tons larger than that. So yeah. we need to give them every square inch of channel. Well, I was talking with Seth Waller, who owns Lake Bruin um, Lodge and Country Store. And he hunts around, he hunts in Tinsall Parish a lot. And he said that the river is rising pretty high day, you know, right now, day after day, it's getting a little yeah. higher, getting a little higher. So he said he's, yeah. he's been bow hunting the ridges. That's what he's been focusing on. So, yeah. Um, well, um, so let's, let's break in a, into today's topic, which, um, you know, you reached out to, to me, uh, over, I think it was Instagram or an email, mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the two. And, um, you know, like I mentioned in last week's podcast, if you send me a message, I'm probably going to want to talk to you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. because, you know, we've we've done we've had a lot of great people on the podcast. And now that we're in the heart of the season right now, especially with gun season opening or open right now, you know, what we really have left are our diehard listeners our diehard people. I mean, we're talking to people that uh, we're talking about people that wouldn't wouldn't pick up a gun if you gave it to him. Right. And, uh, so, you know, I really want to shift the topic every week to, um, current hunting situations, current tactics, things that can be applied immediately. Um, and, uh, so, you know, today what, what you reached out to me about and what your, uh, I guess you say passion topic, if you will, is kind of your progression as to, uh, how you've gotten to be the bow hunter you are today. And so yeah. the, the topic of today's show is going to kind of be called like the, the, the beginner's transition essentially, um, which is, yeah. you know, we get a lot of requests from people uh, say, Hey man, can you do something on, you know, where do I get started? How, where do I go? How do I start this? Um, you know, I want to get into bow hunting, but I don't know what to do. Everybody I know 
is a you know a rifle or a box stand guy, and I would be the black sheep if I went bow hunting, but I really want to get into it. And um, and so you know, tell us a little bit about what got you into it, how long you've been doing it, and and your progression. Yeah, well, I, let me first say that um, you'll probably never find a less qualified uh, guest on your show than <laughs> I to talk about bow. <laughs> um, but I, but I appreciate you know you having me on, and, and let me just say that. The, my passion for bow hunting has been fueled substantially by your podcast and, and your online Facebook community and, and just the things I've learned. Because when you search bow hunting, you know, me as a new bow hunter, this will be my third year bow hunting. And as a new hunter in general, and especially as a new bow hunter, if you're trying to learn online how to hunt Louisiana Palmetto Flats, you're not going to find anything. You're going to find mm-hmm. a guy in Ohio on YouTube shooting these big boners and you know you're not going to find anybody who teaches you how to hunt swamps and bottomland and hardwoods mixed in with palmettos and uh but that's what i found through you you know so i've just i've absorbed everything you've put out almost <laughs> when you called today i felt like i was talking to like a uh, you know it's a it's a celebrity I oh hear, man your no, voice <laughs> not, not at all I but i yeah, appreciate not. everything you've done to, uh, <laughs> to further the the community in Louisiana. Thanks, man. That's, I mean, that really is, that's the reason why we do this is, um, like I said on last week's podcast, uh, we're trying to answer the questions people haven't even thought to ask yet, you know? Yeah. And, and we, as bow hunters, we, this is a decision. This is a, a lifestyle, a life choice, if you will. We're intentionally doing something in an extremely difficult way because we, we feel as if we get a greater sense of accomplishment out of it than other approaches to the woods. And, um, yeah. and so, it, I, I mean, I'm very passionate about it. I love to bow hunt more than anything. Um, and for me, you know, I, <laughs> I was explaining this to somebody earlier today and I've, I've kind of thought, you know, whether to say this on the podcast or not, but, but I'll give you a little, a little history of myself. Um, I have not been bow hunting for very long compared to a lot of our guests or even people I know. I have not been bow hunting since I was 10. I have not, uh, killed a 150 inch deer. Um, I don't hunt out of state and I, pretty much had to figure out everything on my own through the process. But, but the, the big thing is that I grew up without a father figure in my life. And, and same here. I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying this as I mean, this very matter of fact, definitely don't mean it like, whoa, am I feel bad for me type of thing? Because, because when you grow up with something that you've never had, you can't miss it. Okay. Mm -hmm. There was nothing taken away from you because you didn't have it to begin with. And so, what I consider normal is only half of what the majority of the U.S. population would consider normal, okay? But yeah, on, yeah. on the other side of things, I had a mother that was beyond supportive of me being a boy and then later on in life a man and a man's man yeah. that I've turned into. And, um, and so I, I never had anybody ever, and, I, and I'm not exaggerating, nobody has ever in my life woken me up at 3.30 in the morning to go duck hunting. Nobody has ever shaken me awake on the sofa at the deer camp at 4.30 saying, son, wake up, you know, we're going to go climb up in a block stand or in a deer, or deer stand. It's never happened. And so yeah. for me, you know, my pursuit of the outdoors really started in college. And, and I'm telling 
the listeners this because if you're 25 or 30 or in your case 40 42 mm-hmm. um yeah. and you're thinking that you man it's too late you missed the boat you can't get into this you're freaking wrong i mean yeah, absolutely in, wrong. in a sense you're kind of in the uh, maybe the, the best position to get into it now because you can probably afford it better now in, in your career or yeah. your job than you could when you were 18 you know yeah and um and so you, yeah, do we not have the wonder years of being 17 and making wood duck hunts before class in high school? Yeah, you know, I don't have those memories. But then again, you know, I I bought a boat in college. It changed my life, and I haven't looked back since. And, I, and you yeah. know, it's funny how things have become so linear back to that point. That decision was like, I mean, I wouldn't have the friends I know. I wouldn't live in the cities I live in. I, I wouldn't have my wife. We wouldn't have ever met for that boat. And it's just funny how things can be so linear to almost like if you really don't want to think it. There is there is some point in your life or everybody's life in which if you had missed or caught one more red light or green light, your life could be totally different. <laughs> yeah. You, you know and what I, I mean? I think so. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, um, I didn't, I, same thing. I didn't grow up with a dad and, um, but my mom was real supportive and, uh, you know, I, I think because of that, perhaps, um, we don't take a lot of this stuff for granted when I'm sitting in the tree. I, um, I realize what a privilege it is. And I, and I think there's a sense of accomplishment is that I had to come on, uh, come upon those, those of, you know, the knowledge that I've gained on my own. And, and that means that you have to be willing to deal with a whole lot of setback. And I, I had, <laughs> I've had a whole lot of setback, yeah, um, but the, that makes that success so sweet. The thing, the thing for me growing up and, and like when I kind of psychoanalyze myself in, in hindsight and look <laughs> back on my life, it has made me, uh, so, uh, solutions focused as an adult because, figuring things out on my own and and i guess you know, i never feel this way in the moment i never have but in hindsight i always feel this way when you figure things out the hard way um you two things happen you 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 appreciate it more because you feel like you've earned something even if that something mm-hmm. is just a piece of knowledge and then number two like i have an 11 month old daughter now uh and it it i am struggling on how much I should help her uh, when she gets older. You know what I mean? Like we, we I don't, I don't yeah. know if you have kids or not, but you know, when I you, have an 11 and 13 year old daughter. So yeah, and uh, so, yeah, enjoy the glory years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, somebody told me the other day, you spend your first year wishing they'd stand up and talk and you spend the rest of the life with wishing they'd sit down and shut up. Uh, and, yeah. and so, but with, with her and her kids in general, you know, we always want our kids to have great lives. And um, sometimes that, great life quote unquote means making their lives easier than we had it and the uh, catch 22 there is the rhetorical question of would I be the person I am today if things were easier for me you know what I mean? Um, yeah. what, what if somebody bought me my first boat and I used it and never really knew the value of money or what it took to get it running versus buying it myself or cars or yeah. hunting equipment or, or whatever and so yeah, as far as my life goes, I wouldn't change anything, as because I mean, I, I I'm happily married. We've got a, we've got a beautiful daughter. I you know love to bow hunt and you know run a company and all this stuff. It's it's a blast, but uh, it just it gets your gears turning. Like okay, well, how supportive, quote unquote, or how helpful financially do I want to be with my kids when they get older? Because 
am, like, what am I teaching them it by giving them something or giving them sure. what I never had? So, yeah. you know, back pulling this back into a hunting conversation, um, <laughs> you know, the reason why we do this podcast and the reason why I'm so passionate about doing it week after week is because um, there's other people out there that are struggling the way that I did for years before I ever got semi you can't say you give or get good at bow hunting you just get less bad okay um the bow, bow hunting is not something you get great at um you can get more accurate you know you can pick you know stand locations but at some point in time you got to put it all together and you're going to screw that up more times than you're going to make it happen um and uh and so we do this podcast because there's literally people that I don't even know, like you and and other listeners. We do it because there's a problem you have in your head that you're trying to figure out, and we'd love to help you solve it. And maybe we don't have the answers, but maybe we can learn something from you. You know? Um, yeah. And that's what it's about. Is just I mean, it really is just bow hunters helping bow hunters. Um, yeah, it's and, been a huge help for me. You know, as, as a forty-year-old, I was I was thirty-nine when I decided. You know, every place I go, I try and learn a new skill, or I try and do what those folks do. When I went to Guam, I, I you know I became an offshore fisherman, and I was you know mm-hmm. had two jet skis, and I was trolling. I try and develop a skill and take that with me to kind of take a little piece of every place we've been stationed. This is number eleven, wow, our eleventh duty station, and uh, we're moving to DC next summer, and uh, so. Uh, the thing that I took, as soon as I got here, I kind of wondered, what am I going to get into? And my talking about kids, my 13 year old has my affliction in that she's, uh, she has a new hobby every month and, uh, they're all incredibly expensive. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> my wife, uh, my wife would, uh, is dreading seeing that develop, but, um, I, I decided to become a hunter here and, um, I had some friends that hunted and, um, I did not have, I was not prepared for how, um, just how much humility would be what I would have to call upon to oh, yeah. to enter something that most people grow up in and then to try and become a, good at something that most people have innately as part of their personality because it's been passed down. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has been, uh, you know, it's been, it's changed me in more ways than one. Um, just the opportunity to be in a tree and uh, to be one with nature and to celebrate that and just the problems you can solve when, when you've set up and for the 42nd time that you're in the wrong spot and you're not going <laughs> to see any deer, <laughs> you can solve a lot of problems in your head. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a, you've started hunting, you've started hunting some public land around you. Um, and I, last week you killed, uh, one hell of a nice deer. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I, we talked a little bit earlier today, but why don't you, why don't you tell us a story on, what happened leading up to that deer and then, and then kind of how you got in position to, to kill him. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Um, well, I'm still riding a high from it. So, uh, so I love telling the story, you know, and, uh, it's, um, I, I never expected to do it. I, you know, the first, my here, so to, to take it back to the beginning three years ago, I bought a bow and I spent, you know, three weeks just getting good at it. And I, and as a marksman and a rifleman, um, you know, and I, I work as a police officer as well, uh, here in Vidalia, I'm I'm usually pretty good at, at any sort of accuracy, so I, I quickly adapted to shooting the bow, and I felt confident enough to make a hunt. And on my very first hunt, I shot a doe. On the very first time, I climbed into a tree, uh, which was perhaps the worst thing that could have happened. Yeah, to that's, that's number, how you get ruined. Yeah. <laughs> number one, I was completely hooked from mm-hmm. the very beginning, um, just that feeling. And then 
the the worst part of that is that I had to come crashing down to realize that that was not going to happen every time. <laughs> um, but uh, I solely hunt public land. Um, I don't have any private land uh, to to hunt on, to speak of really. Uh, at least not for deer. I do uh, hunt hogs, therm, thermal hog hunts at night. Um, and 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 I wish if we were talking about um, hog hunting with thermal and night vision equipment at night, I could probably offer something to your listeners. But <laughs> no, you... but as a bow hunter, I'm certainly an apprentice, and uh, your guests are more like I said earlier, far more qualified. But um, no, you so you're, I, you're gonna, people will pick up a lot from you. I promise you, you're more relatable <laughs> than you think you are. <laughs> well, so I, I you know this year, um, I, like I said, I, I'm only on public land, and I was. I took a doe last year on public land. I didn't have a chance to hunt a whole lot last year, but this year I decided I wanted to shoot a buck. Um, and I have hunted, I hunted 22 straight times, mm-hmm. um, this year. And on the 22nd sit, uh, I was just really kind of kicking myself. And I realized that there were a lot of things that I continued to do wrong. And I was uh, realizing that I was, I was making some of the same mistakes and some of those mistakes, like, hunting where i wish the deer were instead of where the deer actually are yeah just finding these really really pretty spots in the woods and thinking man this would be an amazing place to shoot a deer (laughs) yeah but you're not casting for a movie you should be there to kill an animal because that's the purpose and you're not going to do that if you don't find fresh sign and uh so i finally got frustrated and on the way walking out uh, one night early i looked to my left and uh saw a bunch of eyes and then realized that i had been in the wrong spot the whole time and i I, uh, the next day said, okay, deer are there. Let me go. And when I walked in, I saw just the most fresh sign and it just looked like a highway. And immediately I said, don't, don't, over, don't over penetrate into the woods. You've got good sign here. You're on the edge of a crop field, uh, which is just, you know, all, all mud now, but, uh, they're obviously coming out into this stop, hang a, hang a stand and hunt. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I was up there and, and I didn't see anything. I kind of expected it to be late because, you know, it's at the edge of a field. If if anything's going to step out right now, it's probably going to be pretty late. But uh, I was putting my gear away. I was actually listening to your podcast with Betsy Dutois. And I got those (laughs) – I told you I got those those, um, new walkers, silencer, Bluetooth uh, things that go in your ear. And it lets you listen to something. Yeah, that's cool. But at the same time, it it, it amplifies the the outside surrounding noise so that you can still hear what's going on. So I – I thought, well, if I'm going to sit there and not see anything, I might as well listen to something. I'm listening to that podcast, and I'm packing my gear up because I only had, I guess I had three or four minutes of shooting light left. It was getting pretty dark, um, and I heard some footsteps through my through my earphones. And uh, I looked to my right, and all I saw was a rat coming down the trail. Wow. And uh, immediately I realized how unqualified I was for this moment. Um, <laughs> I, I had sat, I, I set my stand on the only tree that support me, but I was essentially right on this trail. And that deer, like an old, any old smart buck, got right to my ground scent, right in front of my tree. And I'm only, I'm on, hey, I'm on a lock on. I only had three helium sticks, so I'm, I'm only about 14 feet up. You know, I'm not super high in a tree. Oh, wow. He hit my ground scent and stopped, and he's right in front of me, straight down, probably only five foot laterally from me out into the trail. Mm. And uh, put his nose to the ground, stuck his nose up, licked his nose, and I'm like, I'm busted. I couldn't get my bow up. Walked right to the to the base of my tree. Um, and was sniffing the base of my tree. And I'm looking at him through the the frame of my of my hang on there, my millennium. I uh, use an M7, and I'm looking at him through the frame, and all I see is his shoulder blades sticking up at me. And mm-hmm. I thought, now or never. And uh, 
drew back, bent all the way over at the waist, and uh, put my 20-yard. Uh, I'm using the Garmin sight. Uh, you put that 20-yard dot right on his shoulder blades and let her rip. That's and awesome. Then, um, <laughs> Uh, immediately convinced myself that I'd done perhaps the worst thing in the world, which was shoot at a big buck and miss because I was certain that I had missed him. Oh, you thought you crashed off. Yeah. I thought I'd missed him. So I'm dejected. I put my hands on my head. Like, why did you do that? Why did, why didn't you just let him walk? Why didn't you let him bust you? And, uh, I turned my headlight on, started to pack up and I looked down and I couldn't find my arrow. And I'm like, where's my arrow at? I Mm. shot straight down. Do you you uh, have, uh, you have Luminox or anything? I did, but it did not turn on. It uh. didn't turn on. Um, so uh, I'm looking around for it, like, where did I, where's my arrow at? So I just, without grabbing any of my gear, I scrambled down real quick, and I'm looking for it, and I see a pin drop of blood, which normally would be a moment of, moment of elation. But now I'm thinking, oh, crap, I've injured this You wounded this buck. it. <laughs> I've wounded this buck. Not only, first it was I missed him, now it's I've wounded this buck. And then I, I, once I calmed down a little bit, I started replaying the shot in my head, and I thought, pretty certain i hit him good you know hold on a second get regroup get your get your crap together here so i uh, started the blood trail and it started to rain of course and i'm like this is perfect mm-hmm. um but uh i found pretty good blood and i followed the rain till it got under the canopy of the of the woods because i was you know on a bit of an open trail and uh i was convinced that i had a pretty pretty good blood trail so i i marked it and backed out to give him time um which I've always heard, you know, hey, just if you're in doubt, give it time. And I thought, okay, yeah. let's, let's just give him time. So uh, I waited three hours and I uh, came back. And as soon as I entered the, the point of last blood, it looked like someone took a red paint can and sprayed it all over the woods. That's <laughs> it awesome. Was just blood everywhere. So did you, you're so. shooting straight down. Did you, did you get a, an exit hole out of his chest? Well, so uh, when I found, when I found the buck, we, we found him about 40 yards from, uh, from where I, uh, you know, had shot him. Um, so the arrow was sticking out. So I, I went in the only object I hid inside this deer internal <laughs> internally was I didn't, I didn't get either lung. I didn't spine him. I went right through the middle of the heart. Um, nice. and, uh, <laughs> which I would love to tell you was skill, but was just, uh, was just complete luck. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, I, the arrow was sticking out about an inch and a half out of the brisket. And uh, the broadhead had spun off as he was running, hmm. but yeah, that was it. Uh, so, what were you hunting with? Yeah, he, what broadhead? Uh, I'm using this year. I went away from from the the rages and the schwackers and all that stuff, and I just uh, I'm shooting a 60 pound bow. Um, I I certainly I'm planning on switching up to uh, to a 70, but uh, from from my first year hunting, I bought a 60 pound bow, uh, but uh, I'm shooting a Halon six and. Uh, I just went to the to the trocars because I thought, okay, it's a lower poundage bow. Let's um let let's go with the trocars, um so that I you know I get the best penetration I can. Yeah, so trocars are the muzzy trocars a three blade fixed, um has a really short, um, blade length if you will. Um, it's mm-hmm. not like this long swooping sweeping blade, uh, and I'm a huge fan of of fixed blades. Um, yeah, me I'm, too now. Well, just me as a person, I, I'm, it really doesn't matter what it is, but if I see the majority of people rushing off to the hottest new thing, I'm going to be the one like backing out of the crowd being like, I'm going to go the other way, the, the <laughs> yeah. exact opposite way. I, I don't want to be normal if you will. And, um, and so 
when I went to Alaska, uh, I had Wasp drones, uh, and I bought some FMJs, some real heavy arrows. Um, went to FMJs and fixed blades. I didn't want to shoot a mechanical. Uh, you know, I don't want to risk a mechanical not opening when you're in the middle of Alaska, in the middle of nowhere. And so, um, yeah. I went to those, uh, wasp drones, um, and which is also a very short blade, three blade fixed broadhead. And, um, I haven't had any reason to change since because uh, now you're shooting a 60 pound bow. I'm shooting a 70 pound bow, but I'm, you know, I'm a speed guy. I love fast arrows. I, I just do. Yeah. I like fast light arrows. Um, you know, a lot of the argument on, on why speed matters or why speed doesn't matter. A lot of the guys against speed, they want penetration or momentum. And I get that, but a deer is a light skinned, animal a thin-skinned animal okay this is not a caribou this is not an elk um and you know what do people say they want bone crushing momentum and i'm like why are you aiming for the bones you know why (laughs) why why are you aiming for the shoulder plate why are you aiming for the front leg and and so uh, but i i can tell you since i've switched to fixed blades i've shot now this is three years now i have shot um i want to say 10 or 11 animals since uh, 11 deer since the since I've got a fixed blades I have never not had a pass through a full 100%. And so my logic has always been I'd rather have two medium sized holes than one big one that stops a couple inches in. Um yeah. and uh and so Absolutely. you know like like I said this isn't for everybody. If if you've got a heavy enough arrow or you can you've got enough ass behind it to open a big 2 inch cut then shoot whatever you want to shoot. But for me, I like my arrow to get there as soon as it possibly can before a deer can react. And I, I also am cognizant of the fact that a light arrow and a mechanical broadhead a lot of times don't mix very well. That is a, a poor combination. And so I would rather not give up any of my kinetic energy or any of my momentum to that broadhead having to open after it makes impact. Um, I would rather get full use of the energy that that arrow has. And I'm only shooting, what am I? I'm shooting gold tip velocities cut to about a frog's hair in front of my, uh, in, in front of my, um, drop away. Um, and my whole arrow weight with Luminoc weighs 383 grains and I'm shooting 70 pound bow at 324 feet per second um that's not ibo that's that is what that arrow shoots Ooh. uh yeah chrono that's that's smoking and so yeah, it's moving. i like like i said i like for the arrow to hit the deer and be through it before it's able to to you know drop and run off um yeah but uh so, I mean, I'm a huge, like I said, I'm a huge fan of fixed blades. So I love to hear that you're shooting those because guess what? There's nothing to fail. You know, it, as long as you're, yeah. as anybody listening out here that's, that's kind of afraid of fixed blades or, or, you know, you've heard these horror stories of the, uh, the muzzy MX3s from the early 2000s and having to, to um, having to uh, uh, broadhead tune and, and, and uh, kind of work off of broadhead drift and all that stuff. If your bow is tuned properly, that's the the most important part. If your bow is tuned properly and perfectly and you don't have a massive broadhead on the front, meaning long swooping blades that come way back that catch a lot of air where you don't have like essentially veins on the front of your arrow as a broadhead, any short blade, fixed blade, 
broadhead, whether it's a muzzy or a wasp drone or a slick tricks or fantastic broadheads also. Uh, as long as your bow's tuned properly, you shouldn't have any problem with them drift, drifting. They should be hitting right with your field points. Um, and if you are having that issue, it really isn't the broadhead. I hate to say it. People like to blame things. People like to blame parts of their equipment that that is can't defend itself. But the guy tuning your bow, if he doesn't do a good job with it, and you're getting erratic arrow flight, it's his fault, not not your broadhead and not your arrow and not the bow. Yeah. You know, well, um, I'm really fortunate. Um, I, I I also everybody needs three jobs, right? I also work uh, part time, um, just pull some shifts to help out at uh, Sports Center here in Natchez, and yeah. Uh, you know, they're, uh, they're archery guys, a good friend of mine, Daniel, and um, he, you know, I'm fortunate I can walk in and have my bow tuned anytime, but having that relationship with your, with your bow tech, I, um, you know, I, I'm happy to call him a friend as well as, you know, my, my bow tech and uh, yeah. being able to get it tuned a whole lot. Now, now, I'm probably the only guy I know that, that does shoot fixed blades, um, aside from my kind of my hunting guru, who's uh, Rob Eagleton, who's the master chief on the boat up out of Vicksburg that, that I've learned the most from. Um, he shoots fixed blades too. And he, and he harped on me for a full year, like quit shooting that daggum mechanical. And I, but that's what, that's what I thought I was supposed to shoot. It was, but the turning point for me, he was talking about being a new hunter and figuring out that things, what work and don't work. Yeah. I shoot a lot of hogs out of the stand. Um, there are a lot of hogs where I'm at and, and I'll pick them off, but I spent $150 in gear donating it to hogs last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those broadheads are expensive and, uh, you know, and <laughs> I, you know, I'm shooting these things that carry my arrows off and never find the hog, Absolutely. you know, there's a Luminoc that's gone. Um, I switched over to these really thin arrows, these blood sport injections and, um, and the penetration with them is just amazing. Uh, Daniel turned me onto those. And so that combined with the fixed blade, even with a 60 pound bow, um, I shoot a lot of hogs, even during bow season when I'm walking out, if there's hogs there, I'll walk up and turn a turn a handheld uh, white light on them and smoke one. I shot one last week at 45 yards and got a complete pass through on this on this pig nice. at 45 yards. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I, I gave all my uh, my mechanicals away. Nice. <laughs> I'm good. Well, um, so let's let's finish your story on the on that buck. So tell us, you know, you said he was only 40 yards further than where you stopped. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, who, did you have somebody with you? Were you by yourself? I, you know, I, I, I did. I went, when I came back home, I called one of the guys I work with, uh, who's just a super great kid. One of the, one of the guys on the boat, his name's Luther. And, uh, he and I hunt together a lot. He's a new bow hunter too. Um, and I said, Hey, you want to trail a buck? And of course he was here in 10 minutes, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I said, let's give him some time. So we went back and, and Luther never really trailed anything in, in Palmetto's I have mostly hogs that you never find. Um, <laughs> but, um, so we kind of turned it into just a, uh, you know, I, when I walked in, I said, Hey man, let's just be honest. I, I think we got about a 30% chance of finding this deer. I took a, a vertical shot, you know, I'm, I'm not real sure how good I hit him. Um, let's just kind of say that we'll just turn it into a, a tracking lesson. Right. So learning little things like don't always have your head focused on the ground and palmettos. If you look up, oftentimes there's spray all yeah. over the palmettos and you're on hands and knees and there's spray all over the palmetto fronds in front of you, you know? So, uh, we were kind of going over stuff like that. Um, so Luther was there with me. Um, and we turned a corner and there, I just, I'll be honest, everybody, you know, I, I called, I called a couple friends, um, and told him I shot a buck and I was going to be going after him. And everybody asked me the same question. How big is he? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> and uh, I, I can say that, you know, ground shrinkage was not a problem. Um, That's awesome. I did not expect him. And we didn't score him yet. He's at the taxidermist and he's, he thinks he's mid-130s. Um, 
but I said, hey, before you mount them, score them just out of curiosity. But I don't know, and I really don't want to know because I, I I don't really care. Um, but we turned the corner, and uh, I just turned around, and you know, you see these people on TV like get emotional after finding this buck. Um, <laughs> I won't say I got like Luke Bryan emotional, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean by that. Yeah. Yeah, is, yeah, he, but, uh, is he down? But I got, is he down? Is he down? <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that clip. But uh, but I got I got pretty worked up, and uh, I was just, you know, number one, I was just kind of hum- just humbled by this the size of this deer. You know, the body on this thing's huge, and just he yeah, just um, is my first archery buck, and it's on public land, so it meant a whole lot to me, and it's on a piece of property that. Um, you know that uh, not a lot of I, I think I don't see a whole lot of people in there. Man, you're um, ruined. I mean, you, but that's I didn't know yeah. I didn't. You never told me that was your first archery buck. Yeah, you're like, yeah, destroyed yeah. from now on because of, <laughs> it's all down here from here, my friend. Downhill from here. Yeah. Be- because I mean, I've seen it. Um, do you know the inside measurements of it at all? Uh, I don't. Because he's he's I, a ten point, right? He was eleven. He got he's got a split 11. on his G three. Okay. Yeah. So he came out to eleven. Man, um, just lo- yeah, just looking at it, just just looking at it, um, and seeing the pictures of it, it's got some really great mass. Uh, I yeah, mean, he's thick. I mean, this he is not one. He is not a uh, a thin racked eight point or ten point. I mean, he's he's got like fat finger thickness tines all the way to the, to his tips. It's like Vienna yeah. sausages at the end, Yeah, you know? Yeah. I was, um, I was really uh, surprised. I mean, to be honest, you know, a lot of people don't think that this, this section of the public land holds bucks and I'm, I'm happy they feel that way. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. Let them, perfect. Uh, keep thinking that. Yeah. Well, I yeah, think keep, just keep looking at the picture, I'm looking at it right now. Um, I think, I think he's probably going to go I'm going to put 137 137 is what I think he's going to go. But yeah. but when you said mid 130s um I I I thought he was more 140 and then um you know I just don't think he has the width to go over 140 but man he's a hell yeah. of a deer especially for public land man that's that was yeah. uh a truly incredible buck. Um yeah I'm spoiled. I'm spoiled now for so, sure. So <laughs> yeah I mean you you've got the bug big time you know. Um yeah. So let's let's talk about let's try and give some people some information on kind of your your progression and um, uh, you know you you told me some things earlier that um, are some things that some things you've written down that are lessons learned or things to do or not to do. Um, the first thing I'll tell you, and I'm going to skip over a big a big portion here. I run through real quick a big portion here. When it comes to mm-hmm. buying equipment and when it comes to being fitted. The most important thing is to trust your Bowtech. It you know, and yes. and we have some phenomenal Bowtechs all over the state. Any anywhere that you're wondering where there's an archery shop, you can go to LouisianaBowHunter.com, click on shops and ranges, and we've got them all listed right then and there. Um, even have archery clubs as well. And um, I don't know an archery tech that I've met in the state that's gonna kind of shun you when you walk in because you don't know anything i mean in a sense you're exactly what they're looking for because they know that if you're they have the information and you've got the money <laughs> right yeah. and so you know let's put the two together and let's get you fitted um but you know to to skip through the most important part which is equipment 
Number one, you don't have to buy a flagship bow as your first bow. You just don't. No. If, if you feel pressured or you feel inclined to, go for it. Um, but, uh, you know, bows, I mean, I'm still shooting a 2013 prime impact. It's, I mean, this is a five, almost a six-year-old bow, which is ancient in bow technology years. Um, but it's shooting 324. It was a 340 yeah. IBO bow that's shooting 324 at my draw length, 29 and a half inches. I keep that a while. <laughs> I mean, dude, I mean, I've, I've laid down nearly 20 deer with that bow and, and I love it to death. And, and so it's hard for me to change. There's a lot of great technology out these days, but my point, you know, we're addressing beginners here. We're addressing the people that are listening that sure. might be shooting a hand-me-down bow or thinking about getting into bow hunting. There's a lot of, phenomenal package bows out there in fact like i'm i'm not a i don't i don't have any brand loyalty to anything at all i'm not a matthews guy i'm not a Bowtech guy i'm not a psc guy i think all of them have great technology you know that they all release each year um but as far as like really phenomenal great price package bow and like in the 700 dollars range if i'm not mistaken the Bowtech carbon icon package um that's probably the that's the closest thing you can buy to being a premium level bow without the premium price tag. Mm. It's a carbon yeah. riser bow that shoots respectable speeds, very affordable. I think it's like, you know, 32 or 33 inch axle to axle. So it's a medium size, if you will. Um, but it has some great accessories and you don't have to spend another thousand dollars on top of the bare bow to rig it out. Now, you said you shoot the um, the Garmin. What is it? The X site? Is that what it's called? The, yeah, it's the, it's the Zero site. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, but yeah. I agree with you. I I didn't uh, I didn't buy the Matthews on my first year. I've only bought that last year. And uh, I you know like like I said on my very first hunt, I ended up taking a doe. I did that with a Hoyt Power Max, um, mm-hmm. which is a which I my my buddy Rob has now. And uh, it, it's just you know I paid six hundred bucks for the combo. I think and yeah. it was just. Uh, it was a great bow. Those, um, those package you know, bows it, are great. At that level, it's the the equipment is not the limitation. You know, any of those bows with a brand name, you know, um, is going to be a bow that if you fit it properly and tune it right, will exceed your capabilities as a new archer. It certainly did mine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do shoot the zero sight. Um, I I shot. I got that this year, and that's and that's a sight. I admit, I'm a gear guy. I'm gonna I'm gonna spend money on gear most likely unnecessarily <laughs> um, but i just love to tinker with stuff and i saw that zero site we got some at the store there at sports center and uh i played with it once daniel had it out of his house and um i'm like okay i gotta have it i gotta get it you know and uh i don't know that i'll ever go back um before i was shooting um an hha uh optimizer i think one of the you know single pin uh slider sites and um and that's fun too i, I enjoyed that but uh being a rifle guy, I could not get used to a five pin sight with all that clutter in my optic space. Yeah. So uh, I, I didn't, I didn't like the fixed pins and all that. I, you know, it just, I, I tried shooting it when I, cause I, you know, the, the boy came with it. Um, I just, I just couldn't do it. So I moved to the single pin and then moved on to the, uh, to the zero site. Yeah. Well, have you enjoyed it so far? Oh, I love it. I mean, there's just it, the ability to click in range and then have a pin dropped for you. Um, I don't know that I'll ever shoot. I don't think I'll ever go back to having to carry a rangefinder, and uh, and that's, I'll admit I'm a little spoiled with that sight. That sight's, uh, you know, if my wife listens to this and looks it up on the internet, I'll be grounded. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I do really like it. Um, 
you know, for me, that's been uh, it's been a real game changer. It lets me focus on the other areas where I'm deficient, mm-hmm. right, and not have to focus on, uh, you know, the actual the the ranging and the shot and the dialing in. If you're using a single pin, uh, it lets me focus on some of the other stuff and takes that takes kind of the gear equation out of it. And I think one thing to, you talked about befriending your your local Bowtech, and I agree with that. And um, spend time behind the bow. I mean, mm-hmm. right now I'm nursing probably the worst case of shoulder bursitis I can because I shoot every single day. Yeah. Um, I realized that I didn't grow up shooting a bow, um, but I spend all day long shooting every single day. I, I take at least 15 shots before I go to the woods and I've completely destroyed my shoulder by doing that. So now <laughs> I, I got to slow down. I've heard, it's I've old heard, age. I've heard people say that they get shoulder problems from shooting their bow what, you're right-handed, right? I am right-handed. Yeah, okay, so, so it's my left shoulder. So it's the one that that gets the the compression on it from mm-hmm. from being in a draw. See, for me, I always, yeah. when people said they had shoulder problems from shooting their bow, I always thought it was their draw their draw arm. Yeah, I thought so too. Because yeah. of like the rotator yeah. cuff and the movement, and that's the one that's actually doing the pulling, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I didn't know it was the compression because I've never had my left shoulder hurt, and I'm I'm right-handed also. Um, yeah, but, me neither. Uh, till this till like this week. Actually, I think I injured it pulling that buck out i'm pretty because that's when it really that night after we got done i felt a lot of pain in that left shoulder and i thought well i'm just strained something you know, yeah no big deal i went to the gym the next day and think it was any big deal um and then earlier i was moving some gear around that I, I tweaked it and had that same pain so yeah i just think i need to chill out a little bit i am absolutely not going to stop hunting nor will i take a crossbow now when, <laughs> when yeah rob loaned me a crossbow but <laughs> i'm not going to do it so you say you shoot every day if you don't shoot do you feel like you lose it a little bit uh i i do um i'm, I'm ocd to the to a degree that's embarrassing uh so if i i just kind of make it a habit that i do uh, every day i shoot my bow and uh um just regimented yeah if i yeah, it's just something I do every day, and I, I shoot in the backyard um, uh, every day. And if I don't get to, I feel like it. Well, it's it it chips away at my confidence when I hit the woods. I'm like, I didn't shoot today. Mm-hmm. You know, gosh. And so it's one more thing for me to think about. Well, I'll tell you, um, I'll tell you something. Um, I'll tell you something I've done for a few years now. I, I have a big big problem that once it gets to be bow season, I stop shooting my bow. Um, I just I just don't shoot it for fun anymore. It's probably because half, probably because all the arrows that I shoot have broadheads on them, and I don't want to go through the yeah. effort of, um, uh, go through the effort of changing them out to field tips or whatever. But, um, but what I do in my quiver is I have uh, the majority of my arrows have broadheads, and then one arrow has a field point, um, and usually that field point. Uh, I take an old dead Luminoc or Nocturnal or something that, that doesn't light up anymore, and I, I shove it in the back to make sure that it's the same grain the weight, same weight. The same weight as all my yeah. other ones. And so if you're making a morning hunt um, and you're about to climb down, let's say it's 10 or 11 o'clock, you're about to climb down and you didn't see anything, just pick a palmetto branch at 40 yards or pick a leaf at 28 yards and um, and just sling one, sling that field point yeah. into the ground because, uh, what you might find is, you know, you, I've, I've, I've shot my bow before where I shot four inches high at that leaf at, at 40 yards. And I know I had the pin right on it. And then I'm, then I have reason to go investigate and, and change up my arrows out and make sure everything's good. And, um, and so yeah, it's, a good idea. it's, uh, you know, if you're, if anybody's listening and, uh, I hope people are listening. <laughs> if anybody's listening to the show, uh, then, you know, if you're not shooting your bow during the season, 
um, try and make a shot after every morning hunt or midday hunt or um, uh, even even if it's at night and you know you set up a light in the stand, shine it down and pick something and shoot it before you climb down, it'll just confirm uh, that everything's still set right. Um, cause last week I went hunting with, uh, Andrew Spivey, who was on our last podcast and, um, I showed up at his house and I had my stand in the back. Um, I had my bow loose in the back of the truck cause I don't have a case. Um, and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, all my, I also, I, I, I let all my, all my, uh, jackets and pants and stuff. I, I lay those in the back of the truck, but I'll put something heavy on them, like a, a chain or, or you know, something that I can't blow out, just to kind of wind blow them uh, on on the way to the stand. And some people might agree oh, with that. Yeah. Some people might not. But um, anyway, uh, I get there, and he's like, did you just put your bow back here? And I was like, no, I, I rode up from Baton Rouge with it. And he's like, <laughs> you know, he's living in Zachary. And, uh, and he's like, you rode 45 minutes with your bow in the back of the truck. I was like, it's not going to fly out. He's like, man, you want to shoot it and make sure it's still on? I was like, it's still on. It's fine. <laughs> I promise you. It's it, 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 nothing, yeah. nothing hit this thing. I mean, I've dropped it out of the stand and it is, and nothing can hurt it. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not a, I, I don't baby my stuff, but I, I like to confirm that it's still on every couple of hunts and, and that's good enough for me. And the only time I'll shoot it is at an animal during the season sometimes, you know? Yeah. Well, um, I think I'm going to have to do that too. I'm going to have to slow down my, uh, my old age, my, you know, at 42. Your old age. Long. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you, you got your bow and, um, did you have anybody that was helping you get into this or telling you where to go or how to do it? What, 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 what was your, uh, well, way so in? originally, yeah, uh, I, I did, I, you know, like my hunting, um, guru kind of, so to speak, is my, my best friend, Rob up in, uh, up in Vicksburg, he's in the Coast Guard too. And he's, he's a very experienced bow hunter, kills lots of animals. Um, but I didn't really go right at deer hunting. I, you know, I decided I wanted to, to be a hunter, but I, I spent an entire year, the first season, solely hunting squirrels and rabbits. And I did that on purpose mm-hmm. um, because the Palmetto Flats, with you know, are just such a unique, um, a unique environment to, to slip around in. And I realized that that's kind of where I was going to be hunting the most. So I would go into the same areas where I'm hunting now. But I would solely focus on squirrels and rabbits, and I just wanted to get comfortable with the woods. Um, I grew up in Tennessee. I grew up in the mountains and played in the woods a lot, but never with the intent of slipping around, you know, and trying to trying to hunt something. So I spent an entire season just and dude. And when I say that, I hunted every single day. Um, <laughs> the number of squirrels I took off that that refuge is obscene. <laughs> um, but uh, and we ate them. We ate them. But you know, much to my wife's chagrin, she's uh, she did not, uh, did not enjoy all the squirrel meals that year, but, um, I just wanted to kind of learn how to be in the woods. And I, my thought process was I need to be, I need to learn how to be quiet in these woods. I need to learn to be comfortable in these woods. I need to learn how to, uh, you know, to, to get in and out of the woods at night without spooking everything with, without, um, without blowing everything out of there. And, uh, I thought that that would be important to me as I started moving on. And then I started going in and, um, into that same area and killing hogs with, with rimfire. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then slipping up on hogs, you know, that, that became a, a huge challenge. And then when I was ready to kind of move on to the next thing, I, I became an apprentice under Rob and, uh, went on several deer hunts with him and just kind of soaked it all in. I mean, I, 
first off, I hate heights. Like before really? my, my first season, I could get on the roof to clear a branch off and, and, and be frozen. Um, now I'm, you know, I don't have any problem climbing 30 feet up. So I needed to get, there were a lot of things that I needed to get comfortable doing that maybe some of the, some, somebody else who's listening thinks, well, I can't do it cause I'm afraid of heights or I can't do it cause I, I'm not comfortable in the woods. Well then whenever I have a deficiency in something, I focus on it to a level of obsession and let's fix that. Let's get that fixed Yeah, and then move on. But I mean, it was, it was, it was intimidating, man, because, you know, to break into a hunter community, uh, especially in small towns where everybody's been doing it and they know each other. And, uh, to be a part of that, um, to try and break into that kind of community, uh, it was a, was a huge challenge, perhaps one of the biggest challenges ever. And, um, yeah, because and I wanted to get good at did it. Did you ever run across anybody that was, and I'm just making this up, but that was like, Oh, you know, you should know how to do this already. Or uh, how how did you get to be this old and you've never killed anything or you've never rifled? Nobody yeah. ever nobody ever said it, but I could I could feel a few times when, uh, you know, the question standing around at a store would be, "What's your biggest buck?" And I, I just I don't have one. You know, I've never shot a buck. Yeah, you know, and I'm the oldest guy standing around talking. And then, uh, <laughs> but but you know, it takes a level of humility and um, so, you know that it takes a while to perfect. I was. Um... I, I, I'm in Mississippi for work this week, and uh, I, actually uh, I was just in uh, at Vans Deer Processing tonight, uh, east of Jackson, and I'd never been there. I just wanted to go in and check it out, and um, and I was talking to somebody, and I, I said, you know, there's there's only two types of deer hunters. There's there's people that are going hunting, and then there's people that are going to talk about going hunting, or talk about the last time they went hunting. And like you said, when you said that that situation, like oh, you guys are standing in a circle talking about their biggest deer, ask them when the last time they killed a deer was, because you might enjoy telling your big buck story from 1992, but I just killed a doe like 18 hours ago. Okay, so if you want to compare whose nuts are bigger and who has the better hunting ability, I'm going to go with the guy that's killed something in 2000 in the 2000s, you know, you know, not not, you know, maybe preferably this season, not the guy that killed, you know, a 12 point at 287 yards with a 300 win mag in 2004. You know that like that's those types of conversations. I try and squirrel out of that crawfish out of those as much as I can, because I generally you know, I have a hell of a lot more respect for the guys that are actively hunting than the ones that, that like to reminisce about the, the glory days, you know, and I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you something that it reminds me of. Do you, do you remember, um, watching Napoleon Dynamite? Do you, do yeah. You, okay. Yeah, absolutely. So those types of, we all know people that love to tell deer stories from the eighties, nineties and two thousands about, you know, when they were like the, the yeah, apex predator, right? The, the, the Uncle greatest. Uncle Rico, is that his name? Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uncle Rico almost won state, right? And, and he videos himself Perfect. throwing footballs and like, and that that's what comes, there? that's what comes, comes to mind when I, like, it's fine. If you like to deer hunt or you used to deer hunt, but you don't do anymore and you have your glory day stories that's great but if you let's not pretend like you're some macho man because you killed a deer in your 20s and now you're about to retire you know what i mean but you don't have to kill a stud either it doesn't have to be a gargantuan deer to be you know this is this is the type a alpha male shit that i hate because you know it's this perception that he who speaks the loudest is most correct you know when 
you know, I posted a topic on Louisiana Bowhunter a couple of days ago, and it said, you know, there's people that, that lay down deer year after year, and then there's people that eat tag soup year after year. What's the difference between the two? And I got a lot of answers, and and some of them were, I mean, very bitter answers. It was like, well, we don't have a high-dollar lease, or uh, we can't feed on my place, or I don't have money, or, or, you know, I'm not as rich as those folks that can do this, that, and the other. And I'm like, okay, let me hone this question down a little further. You take five people, you put them on a brand-new piece of public land on a place that's never been before, and you give them three days. Some of them are going to kill something, and some of them aren't. And I'm not talking about a trophy. I'm not saying 120 or better. I'm saying some of them are going to get within bow range of a deer, and they might make the decision to shoot or not. And some of them are going to wish something would walk by, just so they could look at it. You know, and so, you know, what's the difference between the two? And, you know, if you'll have it read that thread, go to Louisiana Bowhunter Community. It's got a lot, a whole lot of really great answers. It's got a couple of bad answers. Um, but yeah. it isn't about money. I read through it today. It isn't about property. It isn't about how much money, how much, you know, property your dad has in Mississippi or anything like that. This is about your ability and and you either have it or you don't, or you're trying to hone it and trying to get better at it. Um, and yeah. so that's why I would we say do the, the guy podcast. who's gonna who's gonna kill the deer is is gonna be the guy who's willing to number one not look for. And this is something I've I've, I've had to make myself do. Don't look for excuses for why you're not. Find the things that are that are causing you to miss those opportunities and fix those things. Mm-hmm. Hone in on what you don't know. If there's something, and a lot of times when people are blaming others, you know, just in life in general, it's. And we're all guilty of it. The human mind looks for looks for um, a reason why it, it's being disadvantaged. Yes, um, that's a great way to put it. I I don't uh, I try and I try and avoid that at all costs. You know, I, I I try and look for things that I can control. What can I control? I mean, I can't control the deer, but I can control what I'm doing, uh, and I can certainly not blame something outside of my control for being the reason I failed. And I, I just and. I, I, I did that my first several years, you know, I was like, well, I'm on public land and, you know, this guy's that, and you know, the first couple of years, I'm like, stop doing that. There are deer here. Yeah. The fact that you're not finding them has nothing to do with that guy on the high dollar lease. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not exactly. his fault. They're, they are um, mutually exclusive. They are not related. Yeah. You are not killing deer because somebody is okay. That, that is, yeah. that is not uh, a relationship that exists. And you're exactly right. I think I love the way you put that, which was um, the human brain is always looking for a reason as to why it's being disadvantaged. And, you know, admitting that we aren't good at something is very hard. And it's a lot easier to say that other people have it easier than we do and just chalk it up to that. And then we're happy again. Right. Um, And uh, and so the reality is, is if you are willing to learn, put in the effort, learn from your surroundings, look for deer sign and then hunt the right places at the right time. What I mean by that is, you know, is it, is it early season? Is the rut months off? Is, are the feed trees uh, falling? Um, you know, should you be hunting escape routes? Should be, you be hunting pinch points? Should be, should you be honing in on does pre-rut hoping a buck's going to come 10 minutes behind them that type of stuff you know these are things where i I certainly don't have the answers for them if i had the answers to all this stuff i wouldn't need a guest (laughs) you know it would just be i would be like rush limbaugh of deer hunting it would just be an hour of me talking about everything that i know and 
and I don't know a lot. I'm learning every hunt. I'm always learning. But some of the stuff that I've learned, I want to share with other people. And I want to learn from people like you and, and, and people like, like Harmon Carson and Travis Links and, and Frank Sullivan and, and all these guys that have been doing this stuff for decades longer than I have. That's who we're it's a, it's like it's like cliff notes to deer hunting when you can yeah. when you can pick somebody's brain that has struggled like people struggle or, or right now in the woods or like I'm still struggling sometimes and it's refreshing to get the answers in a sense but also you've put in the time to to kind of uh add your own pieces to the puzzle to 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 make the picture whole of where you're hunting and how you're hunting and where you should set your stands. Um, because you know, this whole thing, Louisiana bow hunter is, it exists to help people become more successful in the bow hunting world. That's it. It's the only reason that the only thing that we want to do is help people get better at this, that we can all agree is really freaking difficult. And, but we all love it. Yeah, we, we I, I listen it. to Harmon's uh, episodes, you know, the, on the podcast, and I'm like sitting there with with a notepad. <laughs> <laughs> Harmon's like Harmon's like the Highlander of deer hunters, man. He's been around. He's I think he's like, you know, he's been around for a thousand years. Uh, he's he's <laughs> seen multiple generations and centuries. He he's watched deer progress, you know, at, uh, uh, over 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 millennia, uh, you know, and I mean, he he's a walking encyclopedia of deer hunting and you know super humble i mean it will help anybody that reaches out to him he's he's tell me since he's done the podcast he gets more uh requests and messages on a daily basis now from people say like he'll have people just send them uh screenshots of their property and be like hey i've got scrapes here here and here here's my stand location um, where should we go? You know, or where should, where should I hunt? What would you do? You know? Um, and yeah. I mean, he's, he, he loves to help people also because he struggled for a long time before he got good at it, you know? Um, yeah. so, well, that humility factor, there's a guy here in, in the Natchez area and I won't say his name, but, um, uh, he's, <laughs> I got an opportunity to go to his house recently and, uh, he's, he's far younger than I am. And I've never seen so many 140 and above deer in one room in my entire life. I mean, they're just all over the house. Mm-hmm. And he is the most humble guy I've ever met and uh, invited me to hunt with him one time. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm much older than, than this guy and have, you know, life experiences. But I'm just I feel like this guy's a rock star to me. And I'm, I, every time I'm near him, I'm trying to glean something new from him. And he's just the most humble you know, just the most polite and uh, respectful guy. And you can tell this guy is a student of the woods. He allows the woods to teach him things. Yeah. That's why he kills. I mean, I don't even know how many this year. I mean, it, it's and, and man, it's just those guys who are students of the woods and allow the allow the woods to teach them. Um, I think the ones that are the most successful. And that's what I strive to be when I think of him. I, I want to be that, you know, a guy that's just incredibly persistent. I look for qualities in every deer hunter that I want to emulate. And, you know, when I look at Rob up there, this is a guy who's willing to put in hours and just scout and scout and scout. And, uh, you know, I learn you know, from him. It's just talk about just persistence. Yeah. And he, and he's solely public land too, up in, up in, uh, around the Vicksburg area. And, uh, you know, just persistence and dealing with WMAs where you can rifle hunt and, you know, dealing with the impact of that and, uh, being, uh, successful year after year after year um and dealing with that those are the guys i want to emulate yeah um 
know, uh, well, I've learned a I mean, whole lot from them. Those are, you know, there's there's mentors in life, there's leaders in life, and and what I've always what I've learned. This is a business lesson that I've learned from my career is that the people that I've had the most respect for have had the greatest desire for me to also be successful. Okay. If you, if you want, if you want to think about it, think about they're at the top of the mountain, um, trying to help you trying to help pull you up to them. You know, they're, they're trying to pull you to greatness, but you have to do most of the effort, but they'll help you on the, the path. Right. And then yeah. some of the, the people that I, I mean, I've got to say the people that I avoid, uh, whether it's in person or digitally on the internet or whatever, are the naysayers. I cannot stand a naysayer. I can't, <laughs> I can't stand people that make excuses. I can't stand naysayers. I can't stand people that are only about themselves and themselves only. Um, and and that's fine if you don't want to share or help or whatever, but. You know, we need to bring more hunters into the world because we're dropping like flies. And, yeah. you know, the, the, the most, the absolute greatest act of selfishness I can think about the hunting world is kind of refusing to help other people. You don't have to tell them where your pins are on public land, but give them right. some pointers on how they can be successful so that they'll stick with it for generations. And, and hopefully it becomes contagious, right? They, they tell yes. somebody else or, you know, you tell one guy and, and he's one of a group of three and all three of them don't know what they're doing. And now they're going to do it for life because they've each been successful uh, in this season. And, and they just, it snowballs, right? It's, it's just snowball yeah. effect. Well, I think you also got to look for, when you're kind of, you know, especially if you're an older guy that's listening, that's thinking about getting into bow hunting, um, find a mentor that's going to be honest with you too. Um, that's, that's going to be sometimes brutally honest, you know, and, yeah. and it's going to tell you the things you're doing wrong. Cause if you're older, you're going to, you, something, you know, especially if your mentor is younger than you or the guy kind of showing you the ropes is younger than you, they may be hesitant to tell you things cause you're older. There may be that kind of barrier to communication going on. Um, you know, look for somebody who's going to be honest with you. I, I hunted <laughs> you know, just recently. I hunted with Rob, and I got bored in the stand. I was, I think this was my twenty twenty first sit in a row without seeing anything. <laughs> so I just bought the Louisiana Bowhunter grunt call. So I started making some awesome. noises that probably sounded nothing like deer uh, with it, and then uh, then used my can call a few times. And I did not know that Rob was set up close enough to me to hear all that and uh <laughs> we got out of the tree and he's furious <laughs> pissed off what are you doing quit making all that damn racket over there and i was like i was bored dude he was like well you're being bored cost us both dear oh that's and i'm like funny. damn sorry I, and you know that's another one of those humble pie moments where you're like oh well sorry <laughs> i went i went uh i went on a duck hunt about eight or nine years ago and it was a group of seven of us which is always kind of dicey uh, and we were hunting public land and a buddy of mine, he, and he, he insisted on it, uh, helping us call, uh, which was very, it's a nice gesture. Um, we wish he wouldn't have. And, and so, but, but after about the first 15 or 20 minutes of just like, just some really bad noises coming out of these calls, the guy at the end that didn't, that didn't say much the whole time, he was like, Hey man, th- those are some really nice calls. You might have to take a look at them. And, and the guy was like, "Yeah, man." Here he hands him his lanyard, and he <laughs> he takes them, hangs them on the tree behind him. He goes, "Cool, thanks." 
<laughs> and, and he, and nothing, was nothing was said about it. we laughed and laughed nothing was said about it and, oh, and, and you know we're kind of we're like thank god you know that was pretty oh, ugly man. but that's good fun man well so let's talk about uh Let's talk about some of the things you've learned. You know, I know you told me about your becoming experience in the woods and becoming comfortable in the woods. What are some other things that you can share with people, kind of some goals that they can uh, try and achieve? Yeah, um, yeah, I was thinking about this earlier, and uh, I think perhaps the best thing is, um, I think we touched on it too, is don't hunt areas where you wish a deer would be. Hunt, hunt areas where deer are. And if, if that means you're walking in blind and you're going to hang and hunt somewhere fresh that day and you don't find any good sign, well, maybe it just becomes a scouting mission. Yeah. And you don't have to hang. You know, it, I think time spent on the ground looking for good good sign and, and setting yourself up for success in a future hunt uh, perhaps is, is a better investment than hanging in a tree where there's not a track to be seen mm-hmm. and wasting your time. You know, so hunt fresh sign and that was that was something that um you know even this year i i'm guilty of tremendously i went back to some spots where i saw deer last year and i thought this is just a perfect place to see deer and i'm like i can't believe i didn't see anything well you get down and look around there's well there's there's not a lick of there's not a track anywhere yeah (laughs) you know um and old rubs don't don't mean you know that they're that's where they were last year you know find find some fresh uh fresh evidence that there are deer there and, and don't hunt um don't hunt old old sign uh, that was a big game changer for me and and so it's a lot of these listeners they're going to be like well yeah <laughs> you know but these are the well, things for sometimes me as a, the, as a new bow hunter that, sometimes that the best advice is reaffirm. sometimes the best advice is the the most obvious you know because yeah. it be you might think that other people might be like oh yeah but you know the reality is is sometimes when you're struggling to find sign at all uh, and old sign is the best thing you can find. That might be what people decide to to set up on because it's the only thing that yeah, they found, sure. you know. Um, yeah. And because there's different types of sign: there's good sign, bad sign, fresh sign, old sign, right? No sign, yeah, also. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and uh, you know, I will I will say this as far as like going into public land. I've heard of people doing this, and I just don't think this is a good use of anybody's time. Uh, don't just walk in in the dark. Uh, just just I mean just randomly to a place you've never been in the dark and say I'm gonna hunt this tree because I like the way it looks you know um, that's not a plan <laughs> by the way that's I mean I understand yeah. if, if I mean there's only a few situations where I would do that and and I it's if I was very desperate to hunt because I haven't been in a while or if I only had one single morning to hunt and I had no time to scout then the only time I would agree with that tactic is yes, that is better than nothing, but not yeah, by much. Nothing, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah, and, certainly. And so uh, you know, even like even like you said earlier about the big buck you killed um, last week was that you know you you walked in, you found the sign, um, and you decided to come back and and hunt it the next day. And I was you know it's good that you kind of stopped on the perimeter and said I'm not going to go any further. Um, my favorite way to hunt, and this is you know Chase Metz and uh, Garrett Ramsey and Harmon and um, and uh, Warren Womack and and a couple other people I know we hunt this way. We're gonna we I do I do not like to pre scout before I hunt. Um, we're going to go in with a stand on our back, and I would have hunted that spot the second I found it um, because I've seen it to where I've gone in and. Um, I've had deer 
that I've scouted in an area, um, gone back to the truck or gone back home and come back to hunt it the next afternoon. And that walking in, cause sometimes like sometimes you walk up onto a big oak tree that's dropping unintentionally, or sometimes you're in an oak grove mm-hmm. and none of them are dropping. And all of a sudden you're standing underneath one that's just raining. And so at that point in time, it's kind of like, Oh shit, I'm, I'm in the middle of where I shouldn't be standing. Cause this is where the, de- this is where I want the deer to be standing when I shoot it, you know? Yeah. And so, um, you know, the first time you walk in, somewhere there's going to be the best chance but i think it's awesome that you went you didn't go too far in you didn't blow it per se and then you came back the next night or as soon as you possibly could and you hung uh, a set and hunted it right then and there and it, it paid off for you which is awesome so yeah yeah I, I just had the uh i had the feeling that if i kept walking you know because i mean it was so enticing i walked in and it was just such an and people say what's fresh sign what's old sign I mean, it was just so obvious like oh yeah here they are I mean, look at this. I mean, this is ridiculous. It's beat down. It looks like hogs have been in here, but they're obviously not hog tracks. Do you like to, um, do you like to fish at all? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, um, you know, a good analogy for fresh sign, old sign, or good sign, or bad sign, or whatever. You ever fish and you cast 100 times in a row and you don't get a bite, and you kind of say to yourself, like, man, I forgot what it feels like when a fish hits my line. And then <laughs> and then a fish hits your line, and it's like, it's like you know, you've only casted once since your last fish, and and instinct takes over you set the hook and everything's familiar again that's the feeling you're looking for when you're looking for a place to hunt is does this click or does it not you know like warren womack says i'm looking for a tree that makes me want to hunt it not the other way around you know um and it's so when you find it it's it's um it's almost like it's glowing you know, it's almost like it has yeah. this, this aura of, you know, this is this is the promised land, you know. Um, and, and so if you're not finding that type of sign, it could be it could be fresh deer shit. It could be, um, you know, half chewed up acorns. It could be uh, a f- very fresh rub line or scrapes or whatever. But when you find it, when you know, you know, and I know that isn't the most helpful thing, but it's easier to tell you what feeling you're going to get when you find the right stuff than it is to tell you what's yeah. not good you know what yeah, i mean than what the right stuff is too yeah yeah certainly um yeah and and you know one of the things i think i also learned this year was i, I got away from the climber stand the, you know being a guy who initially wasn't real comfortable with heights that climber um with the rail around it really provided me some security and, and let me get and i still use it every now and then if i kind of know where i'm going and, and um but after I shot this deer, uh, and I had to shoot him straight down, and I'm not, and trust me, I'm not advocating that that's a shot I would choose to take in the future. But there's no way I could have done that if I wasn't using climbing sticks and a lock-on, because mm-hmm. I, I could not have gotten 12 o'clock on a deer like that. Um, so kind of, re- I think that's another thing is refine your equipment and find out what works for you. Um, you know, I, I would not have been able to hunt that tree I killed him in with a climber either. It was one of those uh, trees that comes up and splits into three, and mm-hmm. you got three trunks. Yeah. Um, no way I could have climbed that tree. You know, too many branches on the way up. So kind of, and I haven't made the full leap into a saddle yet, but I, I've watched a million YouTube videos about it. <laughs> of the full leap. Oh, is that is that the new pinnacle uh, of these yeah, days? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I think man. that's uh, that's that's like the maturation process is you start out with a climber and you end up hanging by a diaper from a tree. But <laughs> I, you know, I have I have not hung I have not hunted out of a saddle. Um, there are some definite advantages to it. There's some definite disadvantages to it. Um, I, I guess my, my 
problem with the saddle isn't the saddle itself. It is the new attention that they have as if they were just invented this year. Okay. <laughs> it is, it's like, it, it, it's hype to the, to the fullest extent of hype could be, could be. It is, um, people getting their hands on something this year, by the way, and all of a sudden spreading it out into the world as if it's like God's gift to deer hunting. And, I understand the lightness portion of it. I understand the um, mobility portion of it. Um, but I got to tell you, it looks like a pain in the ass. I just don't. It does. It, yeah. it really, well, you know, you're still carrying the climbing sticks. That's what I can't get over. You're still carrying sticks with you. Yeah, and, you but know, that's cli- most of your weight. Climbing sticks, climbing sticks are th- three pounds a piece. You got four of them. You're at 12 yeah. pounds. You know, if, you have, yeah. if you're at 12 pounds plus a one pound saddle, then that's a, that's lighter than any other 20 foot uh, yeah. setup you can find. But, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm not knocking saddles and I don't want people, you know, I don't, not trying to deter anybody from yeah. them, but, but for I'll me, end up trying one, I'm sure for me, you know, if it's just, uh, I just have this gut feeling like a lot of these people that are hardcore saddle this year probably aren't going to be hardcore saddle next year. You know, um, <laughs> they'll be hardcore, whatever other new thing or quote unquote new thing is out these yeah. days. But the Guido's web has been around since the eighties. Okay. Saddles have been around for a long, long, long time. And, um, you know, you've got a lot of different styles, a lot of different, um, brands out there. And, um, you know, do do I think it's a great public land tool because of its weight and its compactness? Yeah, that's a fantastic portion of it. But I think it's just I don't. The other thing is, and I'm just trying to be funny here. I don't want to look at a tree bark all day. You know, I, I, I want to <laughs> yeah. I want to be looking out, not at a pole. You know, um, so uh, you know, yeah. who, who knows? The other part, part uh, you know, it's funny I'm being this way because I was just saying how much I hate naysayers. But the other thing is, it's hard. It's hard to imagine my 275 pound self hanging in a you know a, a, a butt hammock off the side of a tree. You know, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, it is, it, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll probably eventually try it just because I'm such a uh, you know I like to experiment with gear and stuff. But <clears throat> as of right now, that M7 seems to be my preferred setup. Uh, I, I like to I like the ability to get in any tree and. Um, you know, in public land, you, 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 you're sometimes your choices are limited, especially when I found oh, yeah. that sign. I mean, I didn't want to go too far, but it, um, that was the only tree I could get in. And this tree, like I said, was it not the best tree? I'm right on the trail, directly over the top of this deer. Um, but you know, sometimes you got to hunt what you're given, and mm-hmm. uh, the ability to do that with uh, with the lock on has been kind of a game changer and breaking away from the traditional um climber stand not to mention just how big that dag you know i've got the yeah. viper sd it's a good it's a good stand but man i make a lot of noise walking through the woods with that yeah um well the m7 so, the m7 uh is a is a great stand i've been hunting out of one for a couple of years now uh, I recently created a beef with my M7, which is the fact that it's advertised eight and a half pounds, and mine yeah, it's definitely not. <laughs> mine weighed in without without the strap or the cam buckle receiver, just the stand weighed in at eleven. So I don't know yeah. if they're weighing the stand without the seat or something, but uh, or the the yeah, flip top or whatever. But so I I did a lot of surgery on my stand. Like I I got mine down to I have it down to nine now. Um, I cut two pounds off of it, uh, and I'm not, adv- I'm not advocating this, but, um, 
I went to town, I mean to town with a uh, three-quarter inch S&D drill bit and lightened it up a lot that way. Um, and oh, then cool. I also, I dropped the cam buckle system. Um, I bought the uh, the Lone Wolf standoffs for their Lone Wolf sticks, the little V brackets mm-hmm. for their tree sticks, yeah. tree steps. Um, and uh, cut one of those down, replaced my aluminum tongue with that, which by the way, that weighs six ounces by itself. Okay. So that's, uh, that's, you know, over a third of, the, of a pound, just that tongue. So cut that off. Uh, and then I went to a, uh, a lone wolf versa button system with lone wolf straps. Um, and yeah. I have, uh, I have one versa button with the strap, um, with a lone wolf strap. And <clears throat> what I'll do is, uh, I'll take a I'll take a screw in a screw in um, gear hanger like you know the fifty cent ones from any sporting goods store, and I've got a piece of rope that I have at the top of my stand. It's a little loop, and I'll hang it. I'll screw that in to where I want it to hang. I'll hang it on that piece of rope so that the stand is there and I'm kind of hands free on it. And then I will oh, yeah. get my Versa button strap and everything situated um, to where. It's relatively tight on the tree. I'll unloop the rope from the hanger so I can unscrew that and use that as my bow hook. And then I'll put another strap on the bottom of it and then um, and then uh, push the platform down so it tightens everything up. Um, yeah, yeah, cam it over. Yep, cam it over. And, and that's uh, so that's what I've gone to now. I've made about eight. I, mean, I've only, I haven't hunted much this season. I've only made about five hunts in that stand so far this season. Um, and I like it better for the lightness standpoint because when you – I mean, that – that uh, Millennium block, uh, the ratchet block, oh, it weighs like two pounds, you know. And yeah. then and then you've got you know the stand that weighs eleven that was advertised for eight and a half. And so you know you're dropping a lot of a lot of weight going to the Versa button system. I know a couple of the people that have done done that, but um, I'm happy with it. Yeah, I want to try that. I, I I mean I love absolutely love that stand. I think it's I think it's one of my favorites. And you know the old Cypress stands are even better for like hanging and hunting on non-straight trees they are i like their i like their system their kind of pendulum system where it always kind of straightens itself out yeah their uh their stands are only weigh 12 pounds a true 12 pounds which that's what blew my mind because the old cypress is a lot larger than the millennium millennium m7 um yeah that m7 is small the m7 only weighs (laughs) it only weighs one pound less than the old cypress you know and um but (laughs) it's advertised for you know three and a half pounds less and it's not but um Anyway, uh, the M7 has is been a, a great uh, bow and go stand for me for a couple of years now, and um, but I had to do some mods to it just because, like everything, man, you got to mod it to where it's yours, you know. Yeah, certainly. Um, so, well, yeah, yeah, and, and not being afraid to do that, being you know, being willing to, and I like to tinker with stuff too. I'm like that. So I'm looking forward to seeing some pictures of yours because I'm sure I'll do the same. Um, yeah, you know, trying to make your stuff right for you. Um, you know, I, I think that's a big part of it too, and just knowing your gear really, really well, and spending so much time with your gear and being comfortable with it, and um, having confidence you know, that that has helped me. Yeah, absolutely. Have being confident in it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I gotta have a lot of confidence to stand on a on a twelve inch platform twenty twenty something feet in the air because <laughs> not being a not being a heights guy. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> you said you hunt you hunt with uh, with three sticks, right? Yeah, I'm trying to get a fourth. Uh, you know, everywhere is sold out for that fourth stick. Um, do you um, do you use a, a cheater step uh, on the bottom? Step? I do. Yeah, I, yeah. On the bottom one, I'm using a little cheater step that I made. Um, 
and uh, that's helped out a whole lot. That's it. And I have a set of the muddy sticks too. Uh, they're a little bit heavier and a little bit shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, until I find a fourth uh, helium stick, I'll probably just strap one of the muddies on top of it and you know, just kind of use that as my top step or something. But yeah. uh, now, uh, yeah. how tall are you? Uh, five nine. Five nine. Okay. So um, I I hunt with four helium sticks. Um, I hunt with four helium sticks, the cheater step and my millennium M seven that gets me to about 22 feet. And, um, I, I have, a, I'm six two, so I have a long enough stride to where I can step from the bottom uh, of that 30 inch stick to the top. So I just mm-hmm. skip the middle steps altogether and I, I took them oh, off. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't know if you're weight conscious or not, but if you take the, if you, am, if yeah. you unscrew those, um, uh, it'll save you on three sticks, taking the middle steps off and the bolts, it'll save you a pound and a half. Um, and I always, I leave the middle step on the very top stick because when I'm hanging a stand, sometimes I want to make that like 12 inch adjustment up and down. So I don't, I don't Mm -hmm. do the, the long step on the top stick, but, um, anyway, uh, yeah, I just want, I mean, hung, uh, doing the the bow and go and the, the hanging hunt style, um, you got to give yourself as much advantage as you can, like really stretch those sticks out to where you're comfortable and, and safe still, uh, because, yeah. you know, you're trying to find that balance between height and weight, you know, uh, like height in a tree and then being weight conscious also. Um, so, uh, I love modern stuff, man. I think that's like half of what being a bow hunter is. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I, I like to play with stuff like that, <clears throat> you know, um, and experiment with a bunch of different gear and kind of mess around with it. But, uh, but, you know, being a good woodsman has, uh, learning to be a good woodsman, I think, you know, obviously takes precedence over all that. Mm-hmm. Um, to somebody who's, you know, new at bow hunting, uh, I hope there are people that, that might be listening that, you know, they're just kind of curious and thought, well, I'll just keep rifle hunting because, you know, that's what I'm, I have the opportunity to do, or I'm too old to carry a stand in, or I'm, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't know how to shoot a bow good. Hopefully there's some folks that'll say, let me try it out because I think the the satisfaction you get from being that close to the animals and I don't know I, you know I've shot I've shot some deer with a rifle um, over the last couple of years and uh, yeah it's cool but I also shoot a lot of hogs you know I spend mm-hmm. a lot of time behind a rifle shooting animals so I don't get that uh, I don't get that sense of accomplishment when I shoot a deer with a with a rifle but yeah, being a bow hunter that. is just I mean, it, you just feel like every time it happens, to me, it feels like I just climbed a mountain, you know, and it mm-hmm. feels like you just accomplished something. Um, the satisfaction you get from it, uh, to me, far surpasses rifle hunting. Not to knock rifle hunters, you know, at all. I mean, do do whatever you like to do. And any guy who's in the in, enjoying the outdoors and bringing food home for their family has my respect, no matter what fashion they do it. Yeah. Well, we, um, do, it for, we do it for more than just the meat, right? If we were just meat hunters. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of better ways to to, uh, to get that, you know, um, yeah. but but yeah, I mean, I, I have I have no qualms with how anybody else hunts. Um, but if there's anything that I've learned over the past three years of Louisiana bow hunters, that there's a large community of people that have made the choice to hunt bow only primarily um, and and they do it. Not because, certainly not because it's easier or better. And a lot of times it's not even because of the longer season. Um, it's just people that want to get out there and they, they want to do something in a more primitive, intimate way where you are, yeah, you know, certainly. much more close relation to the deer um, in distance and and, uh, and also just the whole process, you know. So, um, 
Well, let me ask you this, man. It's you know we've been going for almost an hour and a half now. What yeah. is there anything else that you'd you'd like to add or or you know let people know about kind of your transition into you know starting off to where you are now? Um, yeah, I, I guess the last thing would be you know as when we watch these hunting shows and I and if anybody's like me and they're just trying to absorb as much as they can and um, you might be tempted to buy every latest gimmick and every latest uh scent or call or black rack or extinguisher or everything you see on an infomercial yeah <laughs> i've tried my best to stop looking at all that stuff um because none of that in my opinion just thus far in in my current you know progression has made as much difference as just getting into the woods mm. and forgetting about you know i didn't bring my ozonics or her dad gum you know and i do actually i <laughs> I have an Ozonics. Um, <laughs> I've never killed the deer with it. I can't hear a daggum thing with that fan above my head. <laughs> really? Uh, I can't hear anything. I'm half deaf anyway. Um, yeah, I built one myself a few years ago. I had an Ozonics, and I compared it to the one I built, and then I sold my Ozonics and kept the one that I built. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, just, I, it's a computer fan, a remote control airplane battery, a ozone generator, and a fan switch, and and a pelican yeah. case, you know, and it, I, sometimes they bring it. I mean, I, I love hunting with that thing. It's never hurt, hurt me. Um, yeah. But. yeah. I, I need to try it again. I kind of wrote it off and just, well, and, and I'm, I'm weight conscious cause I'm walking back pretty far. Mm-hmm. I do walk probably a mile and a half on every hunt. Um, so I, I get, I get pretty far back in. Um, but so I'm trying not to bring too much junk, but I guess, you know, when you go to Walmart and you look at the, the, I, I was convinced that, I could buy something every time I went to Walmart that would make up for my inexperience as a bow hunter. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that meant that I've got a whole uh, case of dope hiss and, and, and all kinds of junk and, and cover scents and nose jammer, which means I smell great to the bears that I hunt around. Um, I love the back of that. It says, do not use around bears. I'm like, oops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cause, yeah um, you got them all around yeah. you, huh? Yeah, yeah, you can't, yeah, probably you can't, not a good idea. You can't say too much about that. You're going to give away uh, where you're hunting. There's not a lot of places in the state that have bears. You know? <laughs> yeah, so. I definitely have a lot of bears. Um, I'll say that much. Um, but, yeah, so I, I, I think just trying to – I've tried to make myself stop looking for things that make up for my lack, my experience and get in the woods. And yeah. uh, those hunts where I just – I go in light and uh, I've tried to stop even using a backpack. I use a, a, <laughs> I use a fanny pack. <laughs> a little uh, fanny pack and i keep my i laugh when i say that because it sounds a little feminine but um and i try and keep it if i if i can't fit it in the fanny pack i don't bring it um, yeah and typically i can fit everything i need in, in so that fanny pack let and, me ask you this did you did you just move to the fanny pack this year i i did yeah I just moved <laughs> to the fanny pack. <laughs> did you move to it because chad abear says he hunts with one Oh, I didn't hear him. Am I not the only one? Okay, good. Oh, good, no. Good. Well, no. that's cool. Look, and let me tell you, you call it feminine. I'd like to see somebody make fun of Chad Abear for his fanny pack to his face. Because <laughs> Chad Abear is the most, like, tatted up, uh, ZZ top beard wearing hardcore dude. <laughs> I promise you, he could wear a pink tutu and you wouldn't make fun of him. All right? Yeah. And, you hear that, everybody? Fanny packs are cool. Yeah. Cool now. Fanny, yeah, yeah you, get your one. Exactly. So I just, I just laugh because, you know, we've had – there's there's i love that some of the stuff from the show has become contagious you know with other people uh and that's the whole point of this it's not this isn't about like hunt the way i like to hunt or hunt with my stand because i'm not an advocate for much of anything i've just you know 
done trial and error of things that don't work and have landed on and kept with what does work. And so, um, you know, like Chad Abair wears his fanny pack and like, I got to, I poke fun at him. I think he looks ridiculous. I think it's funny, but then he, he thinks I'm ridiculous cause I bring so much stuff hunting with me. He's laughing at me, you know? So everybody's uh, different. Funny. We all learn from each other and some people yeah. wear fanny packs. Some people wear, you know, uh, one shoulder strap military bags, you know? So, um, <laughs> yeah, well, mine's camo. So it's at least a camo fanny pack. I yeah, mean, so, it's still so. a fanny pack. So <laughs> it's, it is. Yeah, it is. Well, um, look, yeah. man, let's Mike. Let's wrap this up. It's been it's been great having you on the show, and right. it's been an honor. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I, I like like I've said, we're really really trying to to hone in on topics and questions and 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 things that people can apply immediately you know to to, you know tomorrow or this weekend or or whatever and um you know whether you feel it or not i promise you people have learned a lot from you even if it's just a confirmation that they hunt the way you do or they're in a similar situation than that you are in you know so um so i I promise you is definitely uh definitely a lot of good going to come from this um and i also promise you i'm most certainly not a celebrity at all uh (laughs) in, in fact i was telling you earlier on the show and i'm i'm positive of this i have not said my name since episode one Okay, this isn't about me. This is about Louisiana bow hunter as a brand representing all other bow hunters, right? This isn't about me or recognition. Uh, Every once in a while, I have a guest that will reference me and my name. And actually, just as a side note, I've had a lot of guests that call me Tyler or Kyle or something like that. And that cracks (laughs) me up because then it's just, you know, then it's uh, my family and, and other close friends. They get to witness that it does get said wrong all the time <laughs> you know uh, well i didn't even know who when you called and said your name earlier I, I had i couldn't place it i saw your i saw your area code and i thought it was somebody from the coast guard down at our uh, headquarters in new orleans and, nope. and you said your name and i'm like uh yeah i don't know that okay, person uh... <laughs> so yeah so i'm i'm most certainly not a celebrity uh i just like to to put this out and you know i mean we get you know this isn't a large audience listening to this you know it's not like we have fifty thousand listeners or anything like that you know just to give our listeners some stats we average every episode in its first week down um uh, averages about 600 downloads in its first week and then it grows from there because then it's you know it's, it's obviously in series with the other ones um and then we're averaging every week uh 1200 downloads every week and those are unique individual downloads so that's that's per ip address that isn't like if you listen to it five times it's counted five times it's counted once yes. um unless you change devices but um Anyway, so, you know, our conversation, we're not reaching the masses here. We're not reaching 10,000, but I would rather reach 1,000 of an extremely engaged audience that tunes in every week and can't wait for Monday morning when it pops up on iTunes or Google Play or Spotify. And I would rather reach 1,000 highly engaged people than 100,000 people that listen to 20 minutes and turn it off. You know, yeah. well, um, that's me for sure. I mean, I'm the guy that's waiting, you know, oh, he uploaded one. Oh, I got to check this out. I got to see what's <laughs> new. And it's, uh, it's always something that, you know, I, I think you're hitting right on the mark. It's, um, you know, I've learned so much just from listening to your podcast. Like, because like I said, I mean, if I, if you search anything about bow hunting, you know, anywhere else, it's going to be something in the Midwest, rightfully so. Yeah. I mean, that's, I get it. That's the Mecca of it all. I understand. But, um, you know, for you to focus on this small community, Louisiana, 
uh, in particular, which, you know, my first duty station in 1994 was in New Orleans. Um, so Louisiana has always been special to me. It's, uh, I feel like I kind of became a, became a man, um, out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, went to New Orleans, which might not have been the best thing to do was to put an 18 year old on (laughs) bourbon street, uh, in the mid nineties. But, uh, (laughs) I did it. I I went to college in New Orleans. I I got it all out of my system. I know exactly what you're talking about. So, uh, but, but what you're doing is awesome. And, um, thank you. you. Know, I'm sure that if there's, if I'm listening to it, I'm sure there's plenty of folks like me who, um, at least I would, I would assume that, uh, you know, are probably more experienced, but I'm sure take just as much away from it. And, um, no, every week I'm changing something I do based on something I heard on there. You awesome, know, I, I don't walk in and out with a, with a headlamp if I can't anymore, if I, if I can help it. So <laughs> I learned that from one of your listeners the other day and just the, uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's been it's been a huge help for me, and we've got six months left here in Louisiana before we move to Washington uh, D.C. And yeah, I really appreciate what you've done. Um, well, take yeah, with, take what uh, you learn here. Take what you learn here and go use it up there. Because I'll tell you what, and and everybody listening can agree to this, especially if you find it out of state anywhere. If you can become a, prof- a proficient hunter in Louisiana, you can be one of the deadliest people in the woods anywhere else in the country. <laughs> Okay, if you, agree with that. if you can get good smart here, deer around here. <laughs> if you can get good here, you can be great anywhere else, you know. Yeah. So, um, well, good luck to you in Washington D.C. Uh, I, I look forward to staying in touch with you and seeing how the rest of your season goes. But um, absolutely, we're gonna sign off, Mike. It was good talking to you. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, thank you, Kyler. It was great. Yeah, thanks again. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you've got anyone you want to hear on the podcast, send us an email at info at louisianabowhunter.com or give us some feedback on our new Facebook group called Louisiana Bowhunter Community. We'd love to hear some feedback about the episodes, what you like and dislike about it, and also what you'd like to hear us talk about in the future. A huge shout out to our two sponsors of the podcast, Cousin Smokehouse and Steve German's Taxidermy Art. We could not put this on without you, so thank you so much for your support. We'll see you all next week.